Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. How are you doing there? It is David. Hope all is well. It's the podcast. As you know, we're trying to make economics and sometimes politics a little bit more comprehensible, a little bit more relevant, and hopefully shed a wee bit of light on what's happening, not just in Ireland, but around the world. Now, this week, we're going to focus on Ireland. For those of you who aren't Irish, bear with us. We're going to focus on Ireland because it looks like we are going to have an election in the next four weeks. It looks like an election is going to be announced in the next couple of days. And it focuses our minds on elections, on politics, on economics, and what's going to happen next in this country. We're going to look at it from a historical perspective as well as analysing the parties involved. And as always, I'm joined by your man. How are you, Head? How's it going? What's been rocking your world? Well, um, what's been rocking my world? Back training and I'm sore. Every bit of me is sore, but hey, you, you know, you look January, like You look like Roberto Duran. You look like David Beckham. Without the tats, okay, showing your full physique. Well, you know, I, I don't. I really don't know why a high-end aftershave brand doesn't sponsor you. Well, they they might do after this, Mike. Absolutely. <laughs> so come here to me. Um, looking at the news all week, and whether it's Trump and Iran and all that kind of stuff. But the one story that keeps cropping up here is the whole RIC commemoration. And the debacle yes. that that has caused. What's, what's going on there? Okay, right. So we have, both John and I, a bizarre, bizarre thing going on. In 1920, my grandfather, John Pryor, down in Cork, was an RIC officer. And in 1920, I believe your granddad was doing something else. <laughs> Yeah, this is funny because I did see your tweet during the week where you said that you fessed up, as it were, that your granddad <laughs> I was... came out. Yeah, he came out, confounding out. And it reminded me of a testimony. My granddad did a testimony back in the early 1950s. And I remembered I got that. And I remember flicking through it years when I was a teenager and I wasn't that interested in it. And when, you, when I saw your tweet... 
it put me in mind of it. So I went out and I, I dug it up and I found it, I'd be flicking through it. And it is... So your, your, your granddad was an IRA member? IRA. So your granddad... Longford. ...was shooting RIC men, of which he could have shot my granddad. He could very easily have shot your That's granddad. That's amazing. Go on, yeah. tell us the story. So, and, and I dug this out, and I, I'm going to read a bit here. Because the funny thing, just so you know, John and I have known each other since we were three or four years old. Neither of us knew this until tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So, let me read this out to you. Uh, and this is just... What was his name? Frank Davis. In Longford. In Longford. He was the quartermaster. He was under the command of Sean McKeown. And in that, in his battalion, there was, and I'm reading here stuff like, names like Reynolds and stuff, which that I think... That was John, our mate John, who died last year's. It, Albert Reynolds' nephew's dad, I bet you. Yeah, it's That would have been a Fianna family, family from that yeah, neck of the woods. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But anyway, on, on here's, here's one story. Here we go. On Halloween 1920, District Inspector Kelleher was shot in Kiernan's Hotel in Granard. This is in Longford, by the way. And the following day, Constable Cooney was shot in Clonbrony. Cooney was an RIC man and was now a noted detective who was wont to go around dressed in women's clothes and other forms of disguise, IRA hunting. That's amazing. <laughs> he had been stationed at one time in Ballinalee. Michael Collins got to know about Cooney and ordered that he be shot. The Brigadier OC mentioned in advance to me, that's my granddad, that instructions to this effect had been sent to our battalion. The night before he was shot, several attempts had been made to locate him, but without success. On the 1st of November, I was informed that Cooney had gone out the by road to France. That's a townland in, in Longford, apparently. I proceeded there and shot him. That's it. Just like that. I went there and I shot him. He was dressed in civilian attire and riding a bicycle. He was carrying a roll of paper in a collar box at the time. I was afterwards informed that this contained the names and numbers of the important men in the movement in Longford and the surrounding counties. His notes were in code and they were sent to GHQ and deciphered there. Isn't that so amazing? You, so your granddad shot an RIC guy? Yeah, well, one of many, apparently. Well, it's, it's, wow, really? Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm not sure what I feel about that, but, you know, they were the times. They were the times. It's interesting because... It transpired after I tweeted that out. A cousin of mine sent me a resignation form from the RIC that my granddad on the 30th of June, 1920, right. resigned. And it's interesting. So he joined in 1910. He was mm. 29 in 1920. Yeah. He joined when he was 19. He was obviously a cop in Cork. Now, if you look at the data... More cops, I think, were killed, or I see men were killed in Cork than anywhere else. Really? And I presume what happened was the local IRA guys must have come up to him and said, look, we've no real scrap with you, but if you stay in this job, in that uniform, we will get you. 
Is this before or after? Do you remember the, the Black and Tans or the auxiliaries the Black and Tans had burnt come, cork? No, the Black and Tans come in in August of 1920. Ah, uh, okay. So in June of 1920, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to Google this, mm. okay? And what transpired in June of 1920, I had no idea this, was that the court system broke down. So what had happened was there was a court system in Ireland which there would be a normal jury court and there'd be members of the public would be in the jury. And by 1920 or in 1920, in June of 1920, the court system broke down because Irish people no longer felt either willing or able to be juries in local courts. And it transpires that a hell of a lot, I'm not sure the numbers, of RIC men resigned then right. because they kind of realised, A, we don't want to be killed by the IRA. Yeah. B, we are being ostracised by our own people. And C, the legal system is turning paramilitary now because the court system has broken down. Yeah. So it transpires, I mean, I don't, don't know much about this, that my granddad resigned then and left the RIC. What is interesting, subsequent years, nobody really talks about this in yeah. our family. Yeah, yeah. But what I find amazing, just this conversation is the fact, John, that your granddad was on one side, my granddad was obviously on the other, mm. and you and I were brought up in suburbs of Dublin, in a suburb of Dublin, and nobody gave a damn. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, only, that's only one and a bit generations later, and I think that's, if there's an achievement of this society, this country, it's the fact that you and I are oldest mates, we didn't even know this. Mm. Yeah. Whereas there are people who continue to carry this wound, hurt, side for generations. Yeah. And, and that's absolutely true. And, and it is the fact that... But I always uh, thought you were a bit dodgy. <laughs> I'm now looking at all my cousins in Longford and going, Jesus, lads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at all my cousins in Cork thinking, what side were you actually on? <laughs> No, but it is interesting. So, but the RIC commemoration seems to me, and I'm somebody who had a granddad in the RIC, totally ridiculous, mm. totally unnecessary, stirs up all these old issues. It's part of our family history. Look, our country's history is complex. It's not black and white. Families were divided. People were divided. What annoys me is that a government decides, for whatever reason, to commemorate something that nobody wanted. Yeah. And suddenly I you have this... it was bizarre where that came from. It but probably comes from Fine Gael. I, I don't really know where it comes from. Maybe it's Fine Gael trying to be, you know... Is all it, things they, to all men. Uh, is they want to be nice to unionists. You know, I can tell you, knowing the unionists up north, they don't give a damn about this. But you know what, though? I mean, you, you mentioned this in an earlier podcast about, and in your book, the audio book, about... A united Ireland is on the cards at some stage, and in order to incorporate them, we do need to reach out. Well, and is this part of it? Well, John, you know what strikes me is that the reaction this week to this RIC commemoration and the very visceral reaction against it. This happened a hundred years ago. Yeah, this is our grandparents. Yeah. Right? A long, long time ago. For many people listening to the podcast, this is their great or maybe great, great grandparents, you know, but certainly their great grandparents. Mm. If we can't deal and digest and accept what happened 100 years ago, I don't think we're ready yet yeah. for the sort of 
emotional, intellectual and political leap we'll need to do to incorporate the North. I hope we can do it. Yeah. You know? Well, but it's... It, it's it's the harking was... back that bothers me. Although, having said that, Bob Marley said once that if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going, man. If him don't know where him come from, him don't know where him gone. No, but you know, you're absolutely... But, look, you know, it's the thing I think Sean O'Casey once said, if Ireland could stop fucking worrying about the debt and worry a little bit more about the living, it would be That's grand. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing is, the War of Independence, the Civil War, all that stuff, you'd think, ah, oh, it's all gone. And yet, we've got an election, John. Well, this is what I want to ask you about. Tell us about the election. Look, we've got an election coming up. I think... At some stage. Do we know when? Well, I think it, it, it could be announced this week, and then it'll be a, a month later. So it'll be the middle of February. So it's very, very close. Mm. And the likelihood is... That this is what I, I believe, that it will be... At the moment, we have a Fine Gael government propped up by Fianna Fáil. Yeah. I think it's quite likely either we'll have a Fine Gael government propped up by Fianna Fáil again, or we will have a Fianna Fáil government propped up by Fine Gael. What difference does it make? I mean, they're, they're practically the same, aren't they, when you actually look at it? Well, when you look at it ideologically, yeah, right? Like left-right, so all European politics... They're almost the same. When you look at it in terms of liberal and conservatism, given all the referenda we've had, they're exactly the same. When you look at it in Northern Ireland, despite what we were talking about our grandparents, they're exactly the same. Yeah. When you look at it in the context of Europe, say the Brits got all their knickers in a twist over Europe, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are exactly the same. Yeah. So you think, what's the difference? Now, there's lots of subtle, subtle differences between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, which I think are kind of worth exploring. Go on. Well, explain it to me because but, it is one thing. And I have to I have to admit, maybe I'm just a bit of a gobshite, but I have to admit that I've never really understood the difference, the real difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Well, if you look at Irish politics through the lens of European analysis, which is ideological, mm which is Marx versus capitalism, which is capital versus labour, which is red politics versus conservative politics. Yeah, it's a binary kind of whole system. Yeah, it's not that. We've a Schlieveen system. And interestingly, I think it's a little bit more interesting. So the most fascinating piece of research I've seen in many years was trying to isolate the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. It was an academic paper written 10 years ago and it came up with something amazing, mm, which was it looked at all the surnames. So it was looking at culture, not economics, culture. It looked at the surnames of all the TDs who have ever served for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And what it showed was that the Fianna Gael surnames were much more likely to be Norman. Okay, so we're going back right. to the 12th century. Okay. And the Fianna Fáil surnames back. were much more likely to be Gaels. So you think in the 12th century, the Normans arrived here. Yeah. Remember we learned them in school in the history called the Old Irish and the New Irish. Yeah, the Old yeah. English, sorry, and the yeah. New English, right? Yeah. But they all came. So we're talking about Ireland pre-Cromwell. We're talking about Ireland from the 12th century to the 16th, 17th century. Right. Okay. What was the status quo? And the status quo was between Normans and Gaels. 
If you look at the Fine Gael MPs, or TDs, right, they're much more likely to have Norman names. And the Fianna Fallers are much more likely to have Gael names. Go on, give us an example. So what is this? So Fitzgerald, Bruton, these are all Norman names. Veronica. Right? Veronica is obviously a different one. But you think about it, like, so these old, right, right? And you take all the Fianna Fáil names, like Omar Cheen, Michal Martin, they're much more Gael names, yeah. right? So what you think is, is this the case? Now, this is academic research, right? Which shows this is the case. So the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael division is very deep in Ireland. It goes back to the 12th century. And if you look at the history, the Normans, the Irish people who were Normans then became Irish. Remember, they used to call them more Irish than the Irish themselves, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So they were both against the aristocracy, the planter stock, right? Yeah. Once the Brits leave, suddenly they've got to figure out another way of looking at the world. But it's much more likely that Fine Gael members will have been members of the Irish Parliamentary Party, the Home Rule Party, Parnell's Party. Sure. And it's much more likely that Fianna Fallers were members of radical nationalism. Okay. Right? And I find this amazing, not because it's an opinion, because it's a fact that Fianna Gaelers draw their cultural legacy from the Normans and Fianna Fallers draw their cultural legacy from the old Gaels who existed here pre-Norman and certainly pre-plantation. Right, but hang on and a second. I love that idea. You know, it's, it's brilliant, but hang on a second. Are people really harking back to that? Are they, this is not a conscious thing. Is this something that's totally ingrained and innate this is, in people? This is all about very deep class divisions in mm. a country, much deeper than Karl Marx or James Connolly or any of that stuff. This is who you are in your townland who your people are, what your deep DNA is. Now, the interesting thing about all this is that I would have thought that this had dissipated years ago, mm. but clearly it hasn't. And we don't think about it in this way. No, right? not at all, no. But then you think about the 1916 rising, you think, what actually was it? Because, you know, we had all these commemorations a couple of years ago and all that sort of stuff. And I've been interested in the class element of 1916. Right. And the amazing thing about 1916 rising is the vast majority of those fellas in the GPO yeah. had jobs. That's really unusual in a country that had massive high levels of unemployment. Yeah. So the unemployed are not involved in the rising. They are people, and I went through it, it was an amazing piece of research I went through, and it showed the professions or the occupations of the people in 1916. Yeah. They were insurance clerks, they were drapers, they were grocers, they were hatiers, they were confectioners. There was a couple of silk weavers in there, right? <laughs> so what you have... Who, is, sorry, who is the silk I weaver? I don't know. We'll have to, <laughs> I have, we'll have to find who's... If anybody listening to the, uh, the podcast has a great granddad who fought in GPOs... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Silkweaver, by all means, get in contact. Right, but the point is, they were all of what you would describe as the lower middle class, mm. right, at the time. Yeah. So... In our history, we have this notion that it was a great workers' revolution, the James Connolly, the Irish Brotherhood, yada, yada, yada. Like, like the Russian Revolution. Like the so, Russian Revolution, yeah, you know, yeah. and like the O'Casey Plough on the Stars yeah, and yeah. Juno and the Peacock, all that stuff. Actual fact, that wasn't the case, right? Mm. So you think, okay, why in 1916 did the lower middle class decide to rise up against the Brits? And I think you go back a little bit before, right? And you look at the what was happening in Ireland. And this struck me the other day when I was reading the paper about Leinster versus Connacht playing rugby. Oh, was that that match? We had it. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Leinster hockey didn't it? Oh, absolutely. At half time, it was, it was basically a point a minute. It was 40 was nil. It? Yeah. Really? Yeah. But anyway, anyway, so details, what I'm, what details. I'm looking, what I'm looking at is the rugby. I'm looking at rugby playing schools. <laughs> And I'm looking at the Blackrock Colleges, the Clongos Colleges, the Belvedere's of this world, all those old schools. Yeah. I'm thinking, is it any coincidence that they were all set up in the 1870s and 1880s? And I don't think it is. So here's my take on 1916, on Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, <laughs> and our coming election. Go on. Not to mention on. our grandfather's yeah. fact that had your grandfather been in Cork, there's a very high chance, given his proclivity, for killing policemen that I wouldn't be here. Okay? So. Yeah. Um, I'm feeling uncomfortable it's, about it's that. weird, actually. I know, you know it is, absolutely. I'm not saying my grandfather wouldn't have shot back, but there you yeah, go. Right. For sure. Um, in the 1880s, all these schools are set up. These rugby playing schools are set up. I'm thinking to myself, why is this? Is that a coincidence? I don't think it is. So I think that by about the 1860s and 1870s, the Brits, the English had made the tacit acceptance that they were going to pull out of Ireland via a Home Rule Bill at some stage in the future. Okay. The Conservative Party under Disraeli didn't accept that. The Liberals did under Gladstone. But by and large, if you look at all the, the Land Acts, the Land League, particularly the Land Acts, Balfour Act, all these things, what you see is a British establishment, reluctantly, mm. but realistically beginning to pull out of Ireland under the home rule umbrella. Yeah. So in order to do that, they would have to say, well, they had to create a Catholic nationalist mercantile upper middle class who would run the place under home rule. 
Yeah. So they didn't have that yeah. before the 1860s. So then you see these big schools, the rugby playing schools, emerge in the 1880s in order to create that class, a mercantile class that wanted to establish and preserve trade with the UK, and a civil servant and an upper professional So these class. are all seen as the West Brits. This is the West Brit idea. Mm. And it was clearly sanctioned by and encouraged by London, as well as Dublin, and arguably as well as Rome, because they were going to be a Catholic middle class, Catholic wow. professional class. But did, sorry, did people actually sit down and strategize this? It seems to me it's inconceivable that this wasn't strategized. And this is not a conspiracy theory. It's just like things happen organically. I mean, I think politics is evolutionary. Yeah. So it was just an evolution of what was happening in the society. So what you see is basically the Brits up until 1910 or 1911 have this grand design, which is called Home Rule. Mm. And the assumption at the time was that the Conservative Party would bring the lippy, chippy, northern unionists in under home rule, that they'd do a deal with. That's the assumption, Mm. that basically the unionists weren't that serious about preserving the union and we could buy them off. Mm. And we'd create in Dublin and in Belfast and in Cork, Prez Cork and all these, we'd create this Catholic middle class and in the north, this Protestant middle class apparatchik society that would take over the country. Yeah, okay. This idea then all melts into the snow in 1912 when the Ulster Unionists signed the Covenant. The UVF is set up and the UVF says, we will fight to preserve Ulster being British. (laughs) So suddenly then the Brits are like, oh, okay, fair enough. John Redmond, this was John Redmond's big fear that there'd be partition. The Brits then realise, okay, there's going to be some sort of partition We're still going to try and get out, but it's going to be partitioned. Then we go back to what's happening in the South, in the Republic. Suddenly then, the lower middle class, the people who fought in the rebellion, actually, think, fuck this. We're not going to allow the Brits to leave and us be ruled by these sort of bourgeois, snobby, Al Clongos and Blackrock College guys. Yeah. So we are going to fight. So the fight in 1916 wasn't so much Irish against Brits, but it was Irish against Irish, that basically the lower middle class, the drapers, the grocers, the hatiers, the silk weavers, rose up in order to figure out, well, in order to set up their claim for who was going to run this new country once the Brits went. So when I look at 1916, what I see is a revolution of grocers and drapers. And the reason they revolted was to position themselves for the coming disappearance of the crown forces that subsequently came in 1922. And these people then end up being the foot soldiers of Fianna Fáil because the Fine Gaelers, remember the Normans I was talking about, yeah. were much more likely to be what I would call the way the middle class always deal with change is we become model prisoners. I say we because I'm a member of them, right? So we'd say, oh, well, there's a change coming. I'm a model prisoner. I didn't do anything wrong. I behaved really, really well. I didn't revolt and give me the spoils. So my sense is that Fianna Fáil now 
comes from a very deep place, much, much deeper than lots of political anal analysts believe it is. You can see it at various points in our history emerging. And in 1916, it emerges as the revolutionaries. But what they are, are people not so much saying we're going to push the Brits out, but saying we kind of know the Brits are going and we want to establish our territory for the new state which is to come. Now, that is, that's some statement. That's a, that's an, it's a really interesting take on that. So what you're saying then is that the lower middle class, the lower class and lower middle class were taking on... The lower middle class, the lower class dubs were actually fighting in Flanders for the British army. Right, yes, yes. Right? Yeah, so yeah, the yeah, actually yeah. working class dubs were in the British army. Right, mm. This is the interesting thing. Dublin Fusiliers. The Fusiliers, the, 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 all the Dublin regiments, they were working class guys, yeah, right? Yeah. So the working class dubs were fighting for the Brits. The lower middle class were working in grocers and drapers around the place. They were worried that the Black Rock College boys and the Clongos boys, the Rosso Carroll Kellys, would actually take power. And they were saying, fuck it, it's better to have a few Brits in power than those snobs who sit up the front at mass. Because we're down the back at mass. Right. So they understood Irish culture. So that's where I think Fianna Fáil comes so, from. So can I just ask you then, being a it's, CBC it's boy... A, a, basically, you, you're a C... The, the, re, the revolution was a Christian Brothers revolution. Woo! There you go. You and Edmund on, Rice. You and Edmund Rice. Exactly. So come here. Let's, let's get back uh, to I'm this. But I'm really serious. I no. think if you look at our history through class and land and the... Bullshit snobbery that characterizes Ireland or characterized Ireland for many, many years. I think that's where you see more clues than through the anti-Brit, anti-Protestant, anti-this, that, and the other. Okay, so I want to take you back to that question then of the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And what I think you're saying is that Fianna Fáil were the kind of the, the, the man on the street, the yeah. present flesh, yeah. all that kind of parish pump politics type of thing compared to Fine Gael, which were more... The patricians. They were more patrician. They were more, we know what's best for you. We come from a long tradition. We were Normans. We were then involved in the Irish Parliamentary Party, the Home Rule Party. We we're a patrician class. So they, they got the big vision. They... Is that, is that would it well, be the, fair the big to farms say? first? <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Well, that's that's something else. But no. is it fair to say then that a crucial difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael is Fianna Gael look at the big picture, the big vision and stuff, but are a little bit removed from the people, and Fianna Fáil are the opposite. They're more closer to the people. Yeah, I think that the way I like to look at it is. Fianna Fáil are the party of bricklayers. Fianna Gael are the party of bookkeepers. Oh, right? nice. Bricklayers in the sense that they can build stuff. Bookkeepers in the sense that they're always worried about balancing the books. And if you look at the history of the two parties, right? So what I've said is that culturally, the differences are unbelievably obvious if you understand the country. Mm. But when you look from outside, so when you've got like an English guy comes in, he goes, oh, I can't believe there's no difference. We, yeah, they yeah, don't they understand do that time. this is a deeply complex culture that you're involved in. It's been scarred by colonialism. It's been scarred by Catholicism. And there is a cute whore thing going on that we all understand, right? Mm. But once you begin to understand that, what you see is the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And the reason we're talking about them 
is they're likely to run the country again. Yeah. There has been no Taoiseach since 1922 that is not a member of one or two of these parties. Yeah. Never happened. So there's no point talking about them in the abstract. The Greens, the la- uh, Labour. It's all, and- look, it's, all, it's all fringe stuff. I like lots of what the Greens talk about. I like some of what Labour talks about. But I'm talking about the real politics of who's going to run this kip yeah. in the next, oh, sorry, this lovely country, in the next four or five years. It's going to be one of the two. So, can so I- let's go back to the idea of parish pump. Okay. Because so many of our political commentators are sort of schooled in the Anglo-Saxon or maybe the European view of right and left, they look down their nose at our politics because they say there's no difference. My goodness, there's no difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. How can you have two dominant parties that don't stand for capital and labour and this and that? And I think, no, what's going on here is something much more interesting. Whereas that Fianna Fáil, when I was younger, were described as almost clientelistic. They're like West African. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll sort it out. Don't worry, I'll talk to Mick. I'll talk to John. He'll sort it out. This is why when I, the last time I saw a, a beautiful Fianna Fall, but it's actually even more than Fianna Fall. It's the Jackie Healy Rays, the Healy Rays, mm. which is Fianna Fall DNA, which is even more Fianna Fall okay, than yeah. Fianna Fall, right? Yeah. I was in Killarney about four years ago during one of the elections and I was walking to the train station and do you know the theme song to Match of the Day? So I hear this, obviously, in the back of some old Fiat Ritmo, right? Yeah. With a massive big mic on it. And it was the Match of the Day tune with saying, Vote Danny Healy Ray. Really? Okay. And I thought, oh, for fuck's sake, this is like Father Ted. But then I thought to myself, let's think a bit more deeply about this. The fact that that those type of politicians exist in Ireland, right? The glad handling, the back of mass, the GAA club, don't worry, I'll sort it out, right? It serves an interesting purpose, which is the following. It gives people, local people, a real connection with power, Mm. okay? Through these politicians, right? The sophisticated media commentary always says, well, this is really backward. But maybe it's actually not so much backward. Maybe it's actually quite interesting. And the interesting is here. We've spoken about populism for the last four or five months on this podcast. We've talked about the fact that people feel disengaged, isolated, not part of the process. They are totally and utterly removed from politics. What they say is that guy up there, the politician, he doesn't represent me. I'm an outsider. You guys are insiders. I'm an outsider. Mm. What the Fianna Fáil and the rural Fianna Gael TD does, it makes everybody an insider because it says to everybody, I'm listening to you. I'll worry about your drains. I'll talk to your ma if she's worried at night. I'll sort out the young fella trying to get into this. And what it does is it makes politics really inclusive. And If we understand this, we realise that not only is Irish politics not really unsophisticated, but it's actually quite sophisticated. And the other issue is because of our crazy PR system where you've got 11 preferences, right, Mm. which looks again to be really mad, what it does is it brings everyone into the tent, right? 
And as we know, it's much better that people are in the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in. Outside the tent pissing in is the UK. Yeah. Where if you have a constituency of 100,000 votes, if the Conservative guy gets 50,500 and the Labour guy gets 49,500, the Conservative guy gets 100% of the power yeah. despite off. having only half of the votes. Yeah. That can never happen in Ireland. Yeah. So as we go in to an election, and we will cover the election in much more detail, yeah. and as we look at our family backgrounds, our history, what our grandparents did, our grandfathers did, as we look at the origin of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, if we assume that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael will provide the government in some shape or form, I think it's interesting to look at the class and historical basis of these divisions. And rather than take the altitudinous idea that our politics is backward and gobshitist and full of Mayfainers, it may well be this, but it could also be the most significant bulwark against populism that any political process can produce. Mm. Mac, then this is probably a terribly unfair question, but maybe not. I know you'll have an opinion. What, what, what are your predictions then? Where do you, how do you think this election will fall? I think the most likely thing. Do you ever watch two drunks propping each other on the way home from the pub, <laughs> right? I have been one of them. And one fella leans into the other lad and the other lad gives away a wee bit and then leans back into the other fella and the other fella gives away a wee bit, but not too much because yeah. the pair of them will fall over. I, there's an understanding. There's an understanding. <laughs> I look at Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and I don't say this is a great thing, as like a pair of drunks coming home from the pub, <laughs> that in order for the pair of them to get over the line, they have to lean and depend and embrace each other, knowing full well that the difference between the pair of them are both very narrow and very large, depending on which way you look at it. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Now, if you like our content and you want to support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. If you become a patron, you can unlock all sorts of interesting new content, interviews I'm going to be doing ticket giveaways and this will ensure that the podcast remains ad-free and you can get all of this stuff for the price of a pint. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.